Chapter 186 of Warney the Vampire, Volume 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Chessie. Warney the Vampire, Volume 3, by Thomas Prescott Prest. Chapter 186. THE MEETING IN ST. JAMES PARK Another day passed, over at the London Hotel, and as Mr. Blue had been kind enough to take his departure, and that departure seemed to be final, for he did not show himself again, Mr. Lake rescinded the resolution he had made to leave. Probably it was much more convenient for him to stay, although he pretended that he did so out of consideration for the landlord, who ought not to be punished for innocently harbouring so suspicious a character as Mr. Blue, whether he were a vampire or not. But the day, as we say, has passed away, and it is about half-past eight o'clock in the evening, and quite dark, for the moon did not rise for an hour afterwards, when Mr. Lake might have been seen making his way towards St. James Park. He entered it by the narrow moat of ingress by Spring Gardens, and made his way towards the palace of St. James, that is to say, the wall of its private gardens that look upon the park. And then, under some shady trees, he paused and looked inquiringly about him. He was to have been here a little before nine, he muttered. Hush! The horse guard's clock chimed three quarters past eight. Mr. Lake drew back as two men came at a slow pace towards where he stood, and then he muttered, It is Miller, but confound him! Who is that he has brought with him? Hang the fellow! I did not give him leave to make a confidant in this ticklish piece of business. One of the men only now advanced, leaving the other about twelve paces from him. "'Mr. L., I think,' he said. "'Yes, Miller, it is I. But who in the name of all that's infernal have you brought with you? Are you mad to trust to anybody but yourself?' "'Oh, don't trouble yourself about that, sir. The fact is, he has been with me for a number of years.' He is my managing clerk, and as great a rogue as you would wish him to be. I cannot keep anything wholly from him, so the best way, I find, is to make a confidant of him at once. I don't half like it. You may too roughly depend upon Lee, that is his name, and you never knew such a rogue as he is, sir. Besides, somebody, you know, must have been trusted to personate the father, and he will do that, and then you know likewise, sir, that— Hush! Hush! Speak lower, will you? Bring this accomplished rogue this way, since I must do business, it seems, with him. Call him here, Miller, and we will talk as we walk on. That is always safer than holding a conference in one spot, near which any one may hide. But it is a much more difficult thing for a spy to follow and overhear you at the same time. You have a genius, Mr. Lake. Bah! I don't want any compliments from you, Miller. 
We want downright business. By this time Mr. Miller had made a sign to his clerk, Lee, to come up, which that individual did, and at once saluted Mr. Lake, and made some trivial remark about the weather in an offhand way. Mr. Lake made rather a distant reply, and then he said, "'I presume, sir, that Mr. Miller has made you acquainted with the affair in which, it seems, I am to purchase your kind cooperation." "'Oh, no,' said Miller. "'I have certainly given him a brief outline, but I always prefer that the principal himself should give all the directions possible to everyone, and tell his own story.' "'Well, sir, I think you might as well have told him, and not given me the trouble. "'But, however, if I must, I must. So pray attend to me, sir.' "'I will,' said Lee. "'My brother, then, is Lord Lake. "'It's a new title, rather, as our father was the first to head it, "'and he left large estates to my brother, and to his son, if he had one, "'or his daughter, if he had one.' The title descending to heir males, I must have the title by outliving my brother, if I do, but hang it all, she has a daughter, and she will have the estates. I comprehend. The old countess of Bagbite smuggled the child away at its birth, and took care of it for a consideration that used up two-thirds of my income. But the old cat on her death confessed that the child was Lord Lake's but luckily, you see, without criminating me. Now Mr. Miller was a solicitor, and so between us we have forged a letter supposed to be found among the old countess papers, in which she states that she intends to palm off a child as the Lord Lakes when she is dying, but that his child really did die, you see. Oh, yes. Now, this has had an effect upon Lord Lake who to some extent had repudiated the girl, and what I want is to clinch the matter by providing someone who will actually own her. I understand, said Lee, but it will be an awkward affair if found out. I want to provide against any consequences of a disagreeable nature by getting her to marry my son, but I don't think she will. Absolute distress to which I am determined to bring her if I can, may move her to that step, and then all's right. The secret is in my hands to play with, as I think proper. A very good plan. You see, there's a lover of hers too, a young officer in the guards, but he will be off as soon as he finds that she's the daughter of a lawyer's clerk, instead of a lord, ha, ha, ha. "'Likely enough. I'll father her.' "'Thank you. And now about money matters. "'Miller gets a thousand pounds. What do you want? Be moderate. "'I ought to have five hundred pounds to pay me.' "'The deuce! Well, I don't want to stint you. "'But you will bear in mind that debt is very good pay.' And now we must get up a first-rate story, so complete in all its parts, that there shall be no sort of doubt about it, you see. A story that will stand the test of examination and criticism. 
"'That can be better done in my chambers,' said the attorney. "'I think now we understand each other perfectly well, "'and that we need hardly say any more just at present. "'Money matters are settled, "'and as Mr. Lee has once undertaken the business, "'I am quite satisfied for one that it will be well done.' "'I am glad to hear you say that, Miller, "'and I am quite reconciled, "'which I must own I was not at first, "'to Mr. Lee having a finger in the pie.' "'Thank you,' said Lee. "'Thank you. "'We shall manage it all right, no doubt. "'Indeed, now that you have fully explained it to me, "'it seems quite an easy and straightforward affair.' "'You think so?' "'I certainly do think so.' "'Then you take off my mind a load of anxiety, "'for I thought it would be a difficult thing to arrange, "'and require no end of chicanery and trouble.' "'But you quite reassure. "'You quite reassure me, Mr. Lee.' "'Oh, these things are done every day, my dear sir.' "'They had walked to and fro as they spoke, "'till now, by the time they had settled their affairs thus far, "'they stood by the centre of the principal mall. "'The park was very quiet and had quite a deserted aspect. "'Indeed, it was near the time when there would be more difficulty in traversing it in consequence of the extra vigilance of the night sentinels. The moon faded gradually away, or seemed to fade away, as the light fleecy clouds swept over its face and the parties who had held this interesting dialogue separated. Mr. Lake walked hurriedly towards his hotel, and the attorney and his accomplice stood for a few moments conversing in whispers. They then turned towards the green park, and as they did so, they were crossed by a tall, spectral-looking figure wrapped up in an immense cloak, but who did not seem to observe them, for his eyes were fixed upon the moon, which at that moment again began to emerge from the clouds. He stretched forth his arms as if he would have held a beautiful satellite to his heart. "'An odd fish,' whispered the attorney. "'Very,' said his companion. "'I should like now to know who he is.' The attorney shrugged his shoulders as he said, "'Some harmless lunatic, most likely. "'They say that such often wander all night about the parks.' "'That's strange. "'Only look at him now. "'He seems to be worshipping the moon. "'And now?' How he strides along! And, see, there is another man meets him, and they both hold up their arms in that strange way to the moon. What on earth can be the meaning of it? I really don't know. Some religious fanatics, perhaps? Ah, that's as likely as not. We have all sorts of them, jumpers and screamers and terrors, and why not a few who may call themselves Lunarians? For my part, I would rather worship the moon than I would, as most church and chapel-going women do, worship some canting evangelical thief of a parson who has, oh dear, such elegant hands and such whiskers and speaks so soft and impressive. Of all the rogues on earth, I do detest those in surpluses, End of chapter 
186.